Hello everybody and welcome to Fish on Friday. It's just past six, I'm a little bit late, excuse me. Uh, the wind chimes you can hear outside. Um, it's been really nice for quite a while today and uh, I managed to do some sort of funny farm kitchen garden stuff today, which was like tying up wisteria and tying up jasmine and sticking in a couple of roses and it's all been pretty good. And the good thing is today, the Big Bear coffee arrived. I get this stuff online from a company called Big Bear, which is, I've got the mug. Brilliant mug. Fish size. A Big Bear in the house. Which was exactly brilliant timing because I got some other plants in and a couple of them were, I had problems with slugs. So the coffee grounds I had from the very first Big Bear cafeteria was immediately taken out and put around it. And uh, it feels good. But it's been the, kind of weird week. I've had a couple of days where they've just seemed like very dead days and kind of, it was a lot to do with the weather I think just because it was so cloudy and I was just kind of, you know, I hit a doldrum moment just where I couldn't really get myself motivated but it's been great today, loving it and uh, the other thing you can see is like, look at that, groomed, groomed just for you, so hard. So I've got the valve shaver out. I'm sticking a wee bit of WD-40 because I didn't have any other oils to put on the blades. So WD-40, quick trim, Simona finished me off. Got the ball bit polished, all shaved, looking nice. So, questions you want answered, you do young ones. Wang. Picture bits and pieces from kind of here, there and everywhere. There's been, there's been questions coming in, some questions historical, but. This is from Greg Whitten. Hey, Fish, pushing my Dalnaglar Castle Sessions question again. As you said, you would speak about it another time. Just looking for an insight into those last weeks of the band and how you were feeling. Your thoughts on the music you were still making and why Dalnaglar was selected. I know the area well and always think of you and Marillion when I pass. That's very nice. Thank you very much, Greg Whitten. Dalnaglar. <clears throat> we always used to prefer working in... Um, uh, writing situations where we were residential, um, which was Kerching, and it always cost us a lot of money to do these sessions. But the thing was, that everybody was taken out of their kind of domestic environment, and we were put in a position where we were kind of forced to write music. I think by ourselves, we were kind of in that situation. Well, we got to make music, and. Uh, we did, over the years, there have been a couple of places. There was a Barbell House for Misplaced Childhood. Fugazi was done down at Rockcliffe, down at the, uh, the old mill house there. Um, there was a lot of places we used. <coughs> and um, when it came... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh -huh. When it came to writing the album that never was, um, we'd been fannying about working in Peter's, Peter Travis's garage, and we'd been working in bits and places, but we really needed to be away from everything. We needed to be secluded, away from distractions of all sorts. And I don't know why. I've still to this day, because I was, I was thinking, you know, when I saw this question, I went, who actually turned this on to Down the Glar? And I can't honestly remember. I had a few, I had a few people that I knew at that time because I'd been coming up to Scotland on a more regular base in 1987. I'd got 
I got married for the first time to, to Tara's mum in, in 87. So my kind of circle in Scotland was widening a little bit. And I think it was somebody from that those series of contacts when I was asking for a residential place that came up with Down the Glar. And Down the Glar was up on the kind of edge of the highlands. It was um, it was far enough away. It was like an hour and a bit outside Edinburgh. And it was a big, uh, it was a, what they call a folly. It wasn't really a castle. It was, I think it was built in Victorian days, somewhere, somewhere along there, but it was secluded. There was nothing at all going about. There was a small kind of village down the road, a small town down the road where we sometimes went to the pub, which was very rare, but we were kind of locked away. And um, when we went up there, there was just the band. I think it was Privet, Privet Head, who was a sound engineer, and Andy Field, who was our two manager, and they were the only two. So they stayed up in the tower rooms and we all had the other rooms, but that was it in this big castle. And we had Alison Jones and somebody else came in to do catering for us. Alison Jones, the name I bring up because Alison Jones played fiddle. She played violin on the, the very first version of the company that we did down at Lockerbie, uh, which is a very famous violin solo. Alison remembers it very well. It's, uh, there are people that still talk about it to this very day, how bad the company solo was. But anyway, that's another thing. But Alison came up and they did the catering, so we were kind of locked away. And, uh, and we did bugger all. It was, uh, there was a big lawn in front of the room, this, this big kind of room that we designated as the writing room. And we were recording on an Akai 12 track, that I remember. And I remember there'd been a big blackboard, the, the obligatory big blackboard on the wall where we always used to write the bits. It was always slow five, slow five, slow five. And we used to name all these bits and then try and glue them together, right? And um, it did very much the same with Steve Vances and I work, work now in that we do assemble the bits and name the bits. But uh, there was an awful lot of the same style of bits at that time. And we were kind of hitting a wall. You know, Ian's drum kit was set up, Mark's keyboards were set up, the guitar set up, the vocal was there. And you'd go into the, the writing room most days and you'd be looking at the window and everybody would be playing badminton. And it was a... Uh, and it was kind of a break. I think everybody treated it as a break. I mean, we'd been, we'd been on the road nearly constantly. So it was like, it was kind of like a little holiday. And we were supposed to be writing. And um, we got bits and pieces IDs up there, but there's nothing that I can really remember. You know, any, I mean, you know, when I hear the demos on the clutching at Straw's remaster that Warner's did, there's all these d different bits and pieces. And um, I can't really remember anything. I remember, I remember putting together the lyrics for Big Wedge on a walk. Where it, was, it was a big walk, went down a hill and it went down to a river. And I used to go down there some days. And I remember coming up with the idea for Big Wedge round about then. And Internal Exile was another lyric that I started to form then because we were up in Scotland and at that time, um, what was happening were, uh, it was the, um, what do you call it? The poll tax. And Scotland was being subjected to the poll tax, um, whereas the rest of the United Kingdom weren't. And there was a lot of reaction, bad reaction up here towards the poll tax and, and Margaret Thatcher. And the politics were swimming around at that time. It was a very, I'd never really been up in Scotland for a long time. I'd been up for long weekends, but I mean, been up for a period of weeks. And I was going to the bar and I was talking to people who were polit politically motivated and that kind of woke me up 
to our sense. And I was also very aware of the anger that was around at that time. And I think that came to influence internal exile. But the Down the Glass sessions, <clears throat> I don't remember as being particularly fruitful. I remember the arguments that we had up there. There was a number of arguments. And it was uh, a telling period because Mark Wilkinson and I had decided to go ahead with a mask book. And we'd approached John Arneson and told him that this is what we were going to do and that it was basically Mark and I's project. And he had to discuss this with the band, which he didn't do. And I remember the cover for the, the, the book, Mark's kind of pencil drawing for the cover of the mask book arrived and I showed it to the band and uh, they weren't happy. They weren't happy at all. And um, without going into too much detail, it caused a lot of friction amongst the band. And I think that was one of the schism points regard with the management and the band and myself. And on top of that, I was kind of, I was spending more time with the crew guys than I was spending with the band. We weren't really socialising. We went out one night in, into Edinburgh and it was a friend of ours called Robbie the Pict, who is quite well known up in Scotland. He's a very, very political figure, very, um, a lovely eccentric man and a great character. And Robbie took us down to Edinburgh one night and, or, or Robbie arranged to, to meet up in Edinburgh and we went down for a time meal and it was a band bonding session. And it wasn't particularly great, it was after the meal when I thought everybody was going to go out and we were going to hit the pubs and to go for a good crawl and have one of the, a sort of Berlin type night. And uh, everybody dived off apart from me and Pete who ended up in a bar down in, the, in an area called the Pubic Triangle in Edinburgh where there was a lot of kind of strip bars and rock bars and stuff. And I ended up in a, in a bar in the Cowgate and that was the night that I was, um, I was quite drunk but not out of it. And I ended up getting beaten up by a bouncer and it was myself and Robbie were in the bar and we were, he'd been thrown out and I was exiting and I got kiboshed and I ended up in the Royal Hospital. And going back to down the Glar Castle in an ambulance, which wasn't great. Well, I went to the Royal in an ambulance and I went to down the Glar Castle in Robbie's ambulance, which was a converted ambulance, which we traveled about with, with no insurance and no license. And, uh, and down the Glar was kind of, it was just fractious. And, um, and of course, in the middle of the Down the Glass sessions, you had Fife Aid. And I'd been approached by the organisers of Fife Aid to take part. And as we were just up the road from where the gig was going to be, I thought it would be a good idea to do it. And I think I just fancied having, you know, a bit of outlet, if you know what I mean. And um, so we rehearsed, we put together a set and we played Fife Aid. And that was the last ever gig that I did with Marillion. And it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a disturbing experience, Fife Aid. I mean, I, I enjoyed the show. It was, the weather was awful. The organization was kind of oops-a-daisy. It was handleable. I, it was, you know, if you appreciate, you know, it wasn't a German festival, put it that way, but it was, it was well put together. And the, the guys that were on the, the bill, I mean, there's some incredible people. Steve Hackett being there, I remember John Wetton being there. Um, uh, it was uh, Van Morrison that I stayed over to see his set on the following night after we played, which was brilliant in the fog. I mean, it was just best, best Van Morrison, one of the best Van Morrison performances I'd ever seen. And we had a kind of dislocated time there. It was like I met up with a load of old friends, band were there, and everybody dived off kind of 
after the gig and there was no kind of real socialising. I remember that we stayed in this really good posh hotel down the front at St Andrews and they had sake on, uh, at the bar. And I remember the band racked up a huge bill on my uh, room, which was all for sake, and I got stiffed with it the next morning. And, um, and I remember at that time, I had a long talk with an old friend of mine called Judy Totten, who was a press woman, and her kind of, one of her best friends was a guy called Jackie Levin. And I spent a long time sitting one night talking with Jackie Levin about where I was in the band and what was I going to do. So I look on that period as being that was kind of, you could hear the tearing occurring between myself and the band. And the band didn't like the idea of Fife Aid. They, they thought I'd made a really bad decision on it. Uh, maybe I had a great time and it was the last one and I liked it being the last one. And, um, but I mean, when we came back from Down the Glar, I don't remember us really having a lot of stuff. We had bits and pieces of things and I think some of them were on, on the, the, the clutching at straws masses, but I've got no idea which one. But I mean, Down the Glar was, it was a strange time. And, you know, I remember, I, th I think Down the Glar, was where I started to think about, well, if I'm going to leave the band, then maybe moving back to Scotland wouldn't be a bad idea at all. So I'd probably say that the Down the Glar thing tilted me to the eventual kind of move up here in, in after 88 when I left the band. But um, yeah, strange times, strange times. Anyway, I'll move on. Check this out. Javier Enrique Diaz, hello from Maryland. Hi there. Tres Manos. Purple Velvet Records. Hi, Fish. Greetings from Tilburg. Uh, cheers from Brazil. Thomas Engel. Hello. Yolanda de Beauvoisier Watson. Hello again. <laughs> Stuart Bill. Greetings from Aberdeenshire. Caxi Gill. Evening. Hazel Morjek. Marcus Parry. Hello from Argentina. Hello, guys. It's worldwide tonight. Totally international here. So, yeah. Uh, Jilo Casapula, Casapula, yeah. Ciao, Derek. Ciao. Edward Machef Machefsky, Philadelphia, USA here. Bonjour, Fish. Jocelyn Marky. Look at it. It's just great. It's like the Eurovision Song Contest. So it is. With no marks, no winners, no losers. Um, Pilar Fernandez, hi, Fish from Chile. Oh, Javier and Enrique Diaz, show your garden, take the iPad, the phone, and show us. Well, I might do that later. The sky, I was going to actually do it outside tonight. And uh, it looked like it was going to be a good idea. And then this humongous black cloud suddenly appeared on the horizon. And I thought, I'm going to be pushed upon. So I thought, I'll just come inside. I'll be playing another track later. I'll be playing, uh, I'm going to play you, um, this party's over. Um, just give you an update on the album. Um, we're kind of, Callum Malcolm is still mixing and he's just started uh, Rose of Damascus, which he said he'll have a mix to me on Monday. And he just said, it's epic, it's massive. It's it's not a rock song, Rose of Damascus. It's, it's an epic piece of music. And it is, it is progressive rock, you know, but it's not Def Leppard rock by any stretch of imagination. And it's very cinematic. And, uh, and and 
we're employing or deploying about uh, a load of strings from Scottish Chamber Orchestra and a load of brass in it, like we had, we've had on quite a few pieces here at this record. And this record, <laughs> this album. And um, it's, it sounds amazing. Um, I love the sound of real strings. There's just something oomphy about them, you know? And uh, so Rosie Damascus, I should have next week. And then that, together with the remixes that Callum's doing, because he's remixing Waverly Steps, Man With A Stick, and uh, Little Man What Now. So the brand new fresh mixes that are more in line where the, the, the sounds of, of everything is kind of presently. So um, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be given a bit of a, a, a refresh. So I know that and I know they're going to sound different. I mean, knowing the mixes from Waverly Steps from back in the parlor with Angels EP and knowing what's happening with the mixes now, then I definitely know that, you know, things are going to be given a little bit more pizzazz and a little bit, you know, a bit more, a bit more fairy dust, right? Paul Devlin, can you say hi? Can you say hi to Mama, 15 he old son Logan? Oh, can you say hi to my 15 year old son Logan at the Bonnie Banks? Hello Logan, how you doing? Uh, Michael Mosher, hello from Connecticut. Um, Tom Griffiths, your lyrics helped the screwed up teenager. Thank you, it helped the screwed up teenager as well. Um, Tina Kuntz, hello Fish, miss your concerts, yeah. It's, um, yeah, so we heard, um, I heard yesterday that the Forever Young Festival at Dublin has been uh, cancelled this year and it's moving to July next year and they've asked us to be part of the bill and I've said yes, subject to not clashing with anything else, but we will definitely have a date at Forever Young uh, next July. Uh, the remaining one, I've still not heard back from Agent on, but I'm still, you know, I'm not hopeful about it at all. Uh, you know, so I mean, basically that's all the festival's gone. And we're now looking at October, November with, you know, everything crossed. Um, don't know what's happening. As I've said to people, you know, I've, I, all I have to do is basically um, react to what happens. It's... Uh, it's not looking good, but you know, I'm forever hopeful. And um, we'll just have to see how it goes. Uh, you're still in lockdown. I mean, I've, I've been, the last time I was out was, I went out on Sunday, down at the co-op, mask, gloved. Not the Grendel mask. <laughs> and uh, I went down there, I've got a couple of bits, and the last previous time was nine days ago. So I've been myself here, well, with Simona and my mum. My mum's got a new jigsaw, which you're lucky that I'm here because she's having a problem dealing with it and I've been requested to go through here because she's been putting together, putting the bits together with a mallet, I think, which gets confusing. But anyway, Christopher Park, hello from an isolated Norfolk. Jay Moran, love from the US. Grant Forsyth, I remember Robbie well. I played at Pictish Free Festival in Letham. What a gig. Robbie was great. He got very involved with the, the, the Sky Bridge protests when they were protesting about the toll. And he's a very clever man, a very, very clever man. And uh, I had some good time. I've not spoken to him for a long time, but he's, uh, yeah, sharp, sharp was attack. Oh, a wider kike, a wider kike. Hope that's out from United Arab Emirates. There's a first for you. Uh, Bruno Del Tom. How'd you make your final choice regarding the track list on an album? <coughs> um, 
Hi, Bruno. Um, that's really hard. Um, it's really difficult. It's an interesting question as well. <sighs> Big beer coffee. I'm actually out of alcohol for your beer. We ran out of wish about two days, two days ago, yesterday. Designing an album. I always look, I, I, was, I was brought up, I was brought up as a teenager in the 70s on albums, right? And an album was a piece of vinyl that you put a needle on and the stylus moved 20 odd minutes. Then you had to get up and turn the album over, put the stylus back on, retire to the couch and listen another 20 minutes. And there's a kind of, there's an art to putting a set, a, a list together in the same way as putting a set list together for a, for a, a, a live show. But for example, I'll give you a classic example of like, the, or the, the way I see it, right? Dark Side of the Moon. Everybody knows that album, right? Dark Side of the Moon, you put the needle on, you retire to the couch and it builds. Do, do. Doof, 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 doof. Then it runs in all the way through, side one, ends up with like, you know, time, etc. you know. Great big, whoa, bam, end of side one, right? And that is just a curve. It's just a beautiful ride to the end of that side. Then you've got to get up, right? So you've got this kind of change in um, your mood because it's like, whoa, that's it. So I've got to get up and change the album. Doof, doof, doof is in your speakers. Up, change the album over, you put it on, money, right? Bam, 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 right? And then you go back to the couch again. And money allows you to kind of resettle yourself, you know? It's kind of, it's a groove song and you feel, bam, bam, do, 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 wang. And then it goes into us and them and rides through to the end of the album. And it's kind of designed, and I, I look on them, it's, it's when you put an album together, it's like, it's like designing a roller coaster. And you've got to have a good entry point so, you know, people can get into it and then it takes you off. I mean, Perfume River on Feast of Consequences, classic example. If you look at uh, um, uh, Misplaced Sheltered, you know, you know, before Kaylee, you know, you got da 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 It allows you to sit down and relax and then it, it, it takes you off. And again, a misplaced childhood ended on Heart of Lothian, and then the man in the mirror has sad eyes. You turn it over, and then it goes into the Expresso Bongo stuff, the loud bit, and then it, it builds all the way through. And in the same way as when I approached the Velschmerz album, you know, I'm looking for that, that, that song, that, that, that track that's going to just take you in and allow you to take that breath. But of course, now, we're dealing with uh, a situation where there is no 20 minute break, there is no vinyl flip over. So you're working on a CD, which means you've got to be a bit more dodgy and careful and curvy with how you lay the tracks down. And it's one of the reasons why I decided on the Velschmerz album that it was going to be two CDs because I feel, right, and in my opinion, right, if you listen to like 60 minutes of music, on one album, 65 minutes of music, you're getting towards kind of peak saturation. And I think your attention starts to wander. If you've not got that curve or the album right, you know, you can you can lose people and stuff. And we decided 
I, or I decided that I was going to have two 45 minute albums because I think 45 to 50 minutes, right? Is that that area is kind of like where you're at. Well, that was great. I've, I've enjoyed that. That's cool. And if you want to listen to the next CD, then you put the next CD on, you know? And that's what I wanted to do with Welshman. So that's why there's two CDs that are about 44 minutes long or something like that. I don't know the, the exact timings. But I designed them so that it's got the first track is, is Grace of God. And then it moves through and the, the, the first end ends were, uh, it's uh, Rose of Damascus. So you've got one big set there. And on, on the, the second, uh, the, the second CD is designed again with the tracks that they're built so that to take you on a little journey and make you feel comfortable and guide you through. So it's, it's, it's important, you know, and that's why I always kind of, when people talk about you know tracks and things like that, you know, I never I never start writing just individual tracks. I am looking for building blocks of an album, and I'm looking to build something that's about sixty odd minutes, seventy minutes long when I'm putting a normal album together. And I'm looking for the keys and the songs. And I'm looking for, and I'm thinking when we're writing where they're going to fit. And you know when we put Grace of God together, it was there was a little bit at the back of me just went, yeah, that's the start of that album, right? And, you know, I've, I've gone for Weltschmerz, the, the title track, to finish the album. And because I, I think where it sits, you, you'll understand when you see the track list. But I mean, but yeah, so I do take a great deal of care, you know, putting those tracks together, making sure that you're really designing kind of an entertainment ride and you're keeping people interested and there's the right textures and everything to kind of keep people interested. So, Bruno Dertom, your question is answered. What fuck half an hour? Jim Lennox, thanks again. Really great seeing blah blah blah. Thank you, Jim. Keith Serby, Yorkshireman living in Cumbria. Uh, Borgia Garate Madigan, hi from the Basque Country. Yeah. Neil Ormiston, yeah, Tubular Bells. There's another one, you know, and that was a sculptor. You know, you're sculpting the album, you know. Tubular Bells was arranged like that. Will Fugazi get the box set treatment, Stuart Lemon? Yes, it will. It will eventually be done, you know, as a box set. I don't know when. Uh, I've got no idea, but yeah, that will be done. That is, that's due to come. Uh... uh Sass, youthful quatch. <laughs> Sean Marshall, vinyl is always the best, yeah. I don't even think my the vinyl, you know, I've, I've said before on one of the previous kind of Fishing Friday things. I mean, I, I do listen to more vinyl than CD. Uh, um, I do love it. I mean, you know, people will be going on about like, oh, vinyl is saving the industry. It's not, right? You know, I mean, vinyl, I mean, you've got to put in a context that, you know, when I was selling vinyl and the, the Vigil album and stuff like that, you know, when Vigil came out, it was CD and vinyl and you were still selling shitloads of vinyl. You know, I mean, we do runs, I mean, again, to go back to another question about when are you going to put out the vinyl versions of Vigil, Internal and blah, 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 Sunsets, etc. Yeah, I want them to happen, but I mean, you know, Vinyl doesn't sell as much as it used to, and this is the thing, and it's a lot more expensive. I mean, when I, I was saying, when I bought the, the albums by free in the, the charity shop in Aylesbury, when I was on the, the tour when we played down there, 
It was like, I paid about three times more than I paid for the original albums way back in, in the 1970s. And it was like, bah. But I do love it. But I mean, you know, when I'm, this afternoon, when I was out in the garden, Simone and I were sitting there in the garden listening to the water from the redone water feature, which you can hear about later on the Finney Farm Kitchen Garden. Um, we were sitting outside and I was listening to Mano Chow, which is beautiful for when it's a sunny day, as it was earlier on. Mano Chow is just great music. And we were listening to uh, um, a, 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 Cuban, um, a Cuban gypsy band, which was really cool. And the CDs are great when you're out in the garden and you throw it on and... You know, you run it through, and we, you know, but I mean, vinyl is still my preferred choice. As I said, uh, "Beautiful Day" was was played last week, and um, but this week's been kind of there's been a lot of music outside in the garden. But in the greenhouse, I tend to listen to Radio Four. Believe it or not, I would never, never have had me down as a radio when I was a kid. People that listened to Radio Four, you know what I mean? That was for old people, and now I'm old people, right? And I love listening to Radio 4, apart from the Archers. I hate the Archers, right? As soon as I hear that theme tune, off, right? And BBC Scotland. I love listening to BBC Scotland. And uh, I kind of flip between the two of them in the, in the greenhouse. Either that or it's classic FM. <laughs> the plants do love it. So they do. And, uh, but yeah, I listen to classic FM. It's kind of, you know, you, just some, you sometimes hear some great pieces of music that you never heard before. And... Uh, it's, uh, I heard some great piano stuff the other day. I can't remember who it was by, but it was like, but yeah, classic FM, Radio 4. <laughs> um, Mark Davis, High Fish from Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> Mike, Big Codwell, great to see we've got the same haircuts since 1980. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I had to get this done. It was getting too much. I was really, it was driving me nuts. You know? Will Internal Excel be available in your web shop, uh, Ketty Langer? Yeah, when I get it, it's the problem. The problem is this, this licensing thing. Because Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors is the only album that I, I don't own the copyright of, you know, we've been negotiating with Warners for quite a while. And because of this, the entire lockdown situation, and, you know, where Veltschmerz has been put back to September, then Vigil is obviously falling back down the road because I can't put Vigil out and Internal out and Veltschmerz out at the same time. So Vigil's kind of moved back and it'll probably be in next March or so. But yeah, I really want to put that out. And uh, with Internal XL, the first two solo albums and putting them out with Blu-rays because I do have enough lot of footage from a lot of 8 millimeter footage that I filmed on, on the Vigil tour. I mean, stuff from the house here when I moved in and the early rehearsals and things and there's some really interesting stuff. And David Barris, who's did the Veltschmerz video for me, he's been compiling and put together uh, a documentary thing for that. So, so yeah, but the remasters will come out. But like I said, it's going to be next year now, the way the way thing, everything's going. Uh, Tina Rennie, I from California. Uh... Uh, Adelino Freiter still waiting to see you in Portugal. Yep, we had a festival there. Boof, went. Sorry. But, you know, I'm not going down that, you know, da -da -da. you know, playing in countries. Gigs depend on offers from promoters. No offers from promoters, no money enough to pay for all the costs of it, no gig. That's the bottom line. And I'll leave it at that. Vinyl is on the comeback, as there are now stock vinyl albums. 
Yeah, they stock vinyl albums, but they're not selling. And, and you know, the, the 50,000 or whatever that, that kind of, well, not from people I know. I mean, perhaps if, you know, you know, with bigger artists on bigger labels, but I mean, I, I don't see, you know, the numbers aren't the same, you know. It's not going to save it, you know. The music business is not going to be saved by vinyl. That is a definite, you know. I mean, people find it difficult to even find the turntables. I know people that have said, yeah, I'd love to get vinyl, but where do you get the, where do I get a decent turntable? You can find them. But as I said, you know, when you're looking at Spotify and you're looking at the, the streaming systems, you know, but most people are listening to on that, which is why we have such a huge problem. As I said, you know, I'm now 60,000 people on Spotify that listen to all my stuff, but I only sell, I sell less than half of that in albums and Feast of Consequences. On Feast of Consequences on YouTube, we found a site where on every track there was 400,000 uh, listens, right? <laughs> 400,000. <000. laughs> if I sold that many, it was like, that many albums, even a quarter of that many albums, then, you know, I'd be laughing and have an even bigger garden, believe me. I'd have a multitude of gardeners working out there. Gene Hogley. Alright. Gary F. Davies, come and buy the Veltschmerz tour t-shirts. They're cool and I want them all. all right. Take on us. Hello from Yamsha. Yeah. An update. Next week we go into testing on the, the new uh, mail order system. The new, whole new postage system. Um, I'd suggest you hang off until the end of next week for if, if you're buying anything because it is being completely revamped. Um, more po it's, it's, a, it's a very, very clever system. The, the Fuse Metrics guys uh, showed Simone and I some of the little bits and pieces last week and it is exactly what we've been needing for a long time to deal with this whole postal question. Um, the two t-shirts will be up on sale when we get the new mail order done. At the moment, you can the only option you can do is tracked and signed for. It's expensive, I know, but it's the only thing we've got. If we put one thing on tracked and signed for, everything is tracked and signed for, just the way the clunky version, excuse me, that we have at the moment, <laughs> the clunky version we have at the moment operates. It's, 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 it should have been changed ages ago, and it's only since Simona came in that we really started to, to find out the problem, the real problems that we were having with the system. But as I said, at the end of next week, we hope to be live with it. And that is when the two t-shirts will go online. I will stress that the two t-shirts, we've only got, I think, 2,000 of them across the three designs. And once they're gone, we don't know how we're going to be able to manufacture again because Razmataz, um, hi Sandy, Razmataz, who make our shirts, they're obviously not working at this moment in time. So until they go back into printing again, once the shirts are gone, we don't have any more stock, right? The remastered albums we still have, but what I'd say to you is just hang off until the end of next week. Wait until we get into the new mail order system, and I think you'll appreciate everything that that is bringing to the table for you as well as for us. One of the things we're definitely going to have is this electronic customs data stickers, which means it's going to be a lot easier to get out to countries like Brazil, who we have great problems getting things down. We send stuff to Brazil, it goes to a customs house, it never gets even attempted to be delivered, and they send it back three weeks later. Cue angry Brazilian fans, so we had to stop it. But with the new system, 
we are hopeful that ever you know we should be able to get into you know everywhere we need to get into uh, everything. So as I said, hold off until you know we're still taking orders, but wait until next week, and then the two t-shirts will be up. The first things that are going to be up when the whole thing springs into action will be the two t-shirts. So right here we go. Uh, Freddy Arabia Sandova from Brazil. You were at the concert? Yes, yes. That was good. Shaz Roberts, hello. Uh, Victor Stigliana in South America again. I've already answered that question. Um, Christian Michels from Den Bosch. Uh, Russell Yago, order the script deluxe from you on Tuesday. Arrive today, super speedy work. Great, you're lucky. Brilliant. There are some items that go missing. And I, I mean, like I said, we've had some issues. I mean, we appreciate with the COVID thing, the mail, the Royal Mail are doing the best to keep things running. And a lot these guys that are out there in the vans delivering are doing a s stunning job. And they're keeping a lot of kind of small businesses like mine and others, you know, open. You know, like I said, I mean, we don't ask for any money for the government. We're able to keep ourselves, uh, um, we can keep ourselves going and you know we've got the garden we've got the merchandise we don't need any help anything else that can go to other people that need it we don't need it it's, um so that's kind of where it is but i mean the with the the, the, the mail order system I'm, I'm looking forward to getting that up and running again because it's going to take so much pressure off us but as i said royal mail you know there are things that it can be slow. I've lost a couple of things that I've ordered that took weeks for to come through that should have been there in four days. And eventually they showed up, but move on to that, it's boring shit. Um, on behalf, this is from Sergei Lenkov. On behalf of non-English speakers, can you tell more about lyric images of Marillion songs? Well, some of them, nah. And he's up, Jigsaw. Why yesterday starts tomorrow? The main idea of the song. Yesterday starts tomorrow, tomorrow starts today. It was just all about um, uh, Jigsaw was about two people that were together and it was like they weren't being completely honest with each other and in, and I likened it to uh, making a Jigsaw piece where there's that um, sense of control, there's that one-upmanship you get from putting the last piece of the Jigsaw in or... or finishing off the jigsaw and it was, it was a control thing and it was all about kind of how somebody that hides some pieces deliberately so that you know when the other person's kind of looking about trying to find where the missing pieces are they're already in somebody's hand and it's kind of it's the control i finished it i finished it and i, I kind of likened that um that jigsaw idea and the missing piece idea to a relationship and that, you know, you weren't being completely honest, you know, you were, you were holding back and, and not really showing your full hand. And um, I kind of, all the images that were in the Jigsaw lyric were images of um, basically Jigsaw subjects, the, the Tower of Pisa, uh, all, all these different, all the different lines. They were all things that could have been Jigsaw pictures. And that's why it kind of runs through all these, this kind of, Lyrical imagery, so like a bit of hands. And um, but yeah, so that was what it was. I mean, that was jigsaw. It was it was all about 
a relationship and holding back and control and hiding and dishonesty in a way. And uh, um, it was interesting. What I loved about it, I mean, it was, I really, really liked the, um, the stage uh, production on that. It was beautiful. I mean, that the big jigsaw piece, it was such a simple and effective idea, which was that happened a lot with a lot of the Merlin ideas. You know, having that the, the massive jigsaw piece covered in tinfoil and having it hanging from a fishing line from the, the front truss or the, the line setup and spinning the jigsaw piece and, it, and sending it out on an arc and it coming back and being caught in the spotlight in the mirror ball. It was just brilliant. As long as you didn't take your eye off it, right? You see, if you take your eye off it, you'd be sitting there going, yeah, jigsaw, clunk. <laughs> it happened. Oh no, it was, uh, but it was, it was, I was, a, it was a great, great uh, uh, bit of uh, stage set. That was great bit of stage set there. And, um, and I, I really grew to love it. I loved, like that whole bit. But I mean, Jigsaw was a great song. And I, 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 I went off it um, because it was so difficult to sing. And it was, um, you know, when you actually go through the, the, the verses and, and run into that chorus, stand straight, it's like, it's, it's a high pitch, right? And I used to regularly miss it and take people's eyes out with those notes sometimes. And it got dropped because it was too difficult. And then we brought it back, I think it was for the Fishheads, um, for the Fishheads Club tour. And it worked so well. And uh, stripping it all the way down acoustic and I had places to play in it and I could, I could hear when I was pitching. I wasn't kind of straining, I wasn't fighting over a band. And it actually became, Steve Vance has often asked for it on, on, on tours. Like, he regularly asks, can we play Jigsaw, can we play Jigsaw? And I love what we did with it. It was great. And, you know, um, um, yeah, I could see, I could definitely see on the farewell tour, whenever that happens, I think Jigsaw will definitely be in the set. And I might even bring back the big Jigsaw piece. Anyway. Uh, and your Sunshine Miller from Hamburg, hiya. Tommy Frank, do you miss football? Oh yes, I miss the football. It's um, Saturday in the greenhouse. You know, that's normally when Hibs are playing away, I'm in the greenhouse with the radio on, listening to the football, working in the greenhouse. It was, it's the thing, it's what to do. And, and Simone and I, we've, we've both got our season tickets for Easter Road, which is the Burnings Football Stadium. And I bought them about, uh, I think a month ago now. And, just because of uh, the COVID thing and the, the club's suffering. So I thought, well, I'm definitely going to go be going to Easter Road next year, come what may. And we decided to buy our season tickets early because we had, I think it was, uh, I think the music publisher had come through. So Kaylee paid for my season tickets for Easter Road this year. And um, yeah, and I miss it. You know, it, it's uh, so very well looking at reruns and, and all the rest of it. But, uh, but I miss the live football, you know. And, um, and I don't know what's going to happen. I've got no idea what's going to happen. I think no matter what decision is made, it's going to upset some people. Um, and, you know, it's, I'm just glad it's not my decision. I'm just glad I've got enough to deal with, with my band and touring without having to think about what we do with football games. So, yeah. So I'm a real of Venezuela again. Uh, what's it? Angela Prother, all the artwork for Misplaced Childhood. Nah, nah. Yes. Trivia Bands done it. Uh, 
where were Julian Davis went to Hue in Vietnam and went on a boat down the Perfume River due to the album. Where else would you recommend to visit? Um, what, in Vietnam? I had a brilliant time in Vietnam. I always wanted to go there. It was like, I can remember back in 1963, you know, I had German measles. And uh, I was downstairs in, in the house in Glebe Street in Dalkeith. And my bed had been brought downstairs because I was really ill. And I was kept in the warm living room and stuff. And I remember being in the bed and my dad and my uncle Charlie, who was married to my mum's sister, and he was uh, an ex-regimental uh, sergeant major, and he'd been in Burma and everything. He was a big army guy. And I remember it was watching black and white footage of these guys shooting M16s above a trench, not looking, just emptying clips above a trench. And I remember listening to my uncle Charlie swearing about, you know, blah, 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 you know, you know, waste ammunition, etc. And it was like, and that was my role Vietnam. And it was, it became kind of like, I don't know, it was my kind of war in a way. And, and as far as, you know, as I grew up, you know, and I went into my teenage years, you know, it was Vietnam, it was, it was watching. I mean, I remember watching, you know, when, 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 uh, when Saigon uh, actually fell, um, I remember watching the tanks and then lo and behold, years later, you know, I was standing on the balcony of the presidential palace in Ho Chi Minh City and I'm looking out and they've got the models of the tanks in the lawn and I'm going, I remember watching that when I was a kid. And I was always fascinated with Vietnam. I don't know why. I mean, you know, in Fugazi, I mean, Fugazi itself, it came from, you know, uh, I still don't know what the real meaning of Fugazi is, but it was, I came across it in a book called Nam by Mark Baker. And he mentioned Fugazi situation was fucked up, right? You know, there's something, it's all Fugazi, it's all fucked up. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of influenced me all the way through. And, and uh, like I said, I remember seeing so many bits and pieces. You know, I remember watching on colour TV, watching the Napalm, and it was just part of me growing up. And I was always fascinated with it. And then <clears throat> when it came down to, when it came down to, I think it was 2000 and, uh, it was 2008, and January 2008, well, December, it was Christmas Day, I arrived in, in uh, I arrived in Hanoi. And um, I went across there for three weeks on my own. I just wanted to be on my own in Vietnam, and it was a place I really wanted to go to. And oh, it was incredible. I had an amazing time there. And uh, I actually kept a diary um, throughout the whole kind of Vietnam thing that I've still got, which will be used at some point. But, you know, Hue, you know, which was a place I always wanted to go to, the Perfume River. I think, you know, watching Apocalypse there, I mean, I've watched every single, I mean, the, the, there is not a Vietnam War movie that I've not seen. And Apocalypse now is still one of my favorite all time movies. And, uh, and it was the whole thing with the river, you know, Heart of Darkness, Journeys I did in Vietnam. One of them was, uh, one of them was Hue. And um, uh, when I went up the Perfume River, um, which was called by such because all the, the, the rose petals used to fall in the river and they used to come down from the jungle and come all the way down through the city. And it was a beautiful place. And it, it really resonated, um, uh, resonated with me. Um, and then I went on the, the, the Mekong, which was the heart of darkness river. 
and uh, that was incredible. But I mean, um, yeah, Vietnam is great. But my, I think my, um, I'm trying to remember my favourite places. Uh, Hoi An was probably my favourite place next to Hue. Uh, but Vietnam is, if you get a chance to go there, go. You know? uh. Don't message me privately on this, please. Uh. Uh, Stephen Waldron, hi fashion Simona, no, er no Erdinger tonight. Nope, we're out of booze. Sorry, well not booze, but we're out of alcohol free. 18 weeks by the way this week, go cool on. Uh, Eduardo Nerio Marino, blah, 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 from Argentina. When are you going to come down and play? I will answer that one more time and it's the last time I'm going to ask. Don't ask when I'm going to come to our country, right? I have agents and promoters who sort this thing out. It's all very easy for somebody to turn around and go, oh yeah, yeah, why don't you come here? It's like, find a thousand mates, right? And then tell me. It's like, there's, the problem is that, you know, when you put a gig on, a promoter has got to offer you that gig. He's got to offer you a guarantee which covers your costs, be it flights, buses, wages, whatever. You have to have the guarantee. You can't go down there and just play and hope that people are gonna turn up. Right, especially in South America, there ain't even a bus there, right? And um, and the problem is, it's like when you go down, you've got to have certain organisation, you've got to have visas, you've got to have all sorts of stuff all sorted out, you've got to have um, legal stuff, medical stuff, everything all wired in, right? And the promoter's got to guarantee that, right? And he's got to put that guarantee together on what he thinks, who he thinks is going to turn up at that venue, how many hundreds or thousands or whatever that he thinks that it's going to turn up, right? He has to base his money on that. If he gets it wrong, he has to pay the band, me, the guarantee, right? And he loses the money. I don't like to see promoters lose money. I definitely can't afford to lose money. So it all comes to that. So it's all very well for like somebody to turn around and go, come to Philadelphia or come to like, you know, Lisbon or come to this. Unless the promoter thinks it's actually worthwhile and there are enough people Right, that, that I can come down unless a single person is a member of the Euro Millions Winner Society and which is, wants to contact me privately, then I'm fine on that. But it's like I've done gigs before and I've been on tours where I've been sitting £70,000 in a hole two thirds of the way through a tour and I have to finish it. And that, believe me, is not a nice place to be in. So when it comes down to gigs, as much as I appreciate, and you've got to appreciate, I would love to come to these places. If I won Euro Millions, I would love to tour North America where I can do a gig and I don't have to worry about the unionised bus driver getting the hotel that night and I sleep on the bus, he sleeps in the hotel and blah, blah, blah. And whether there's how many people is going to turn up and whether the merchandise we have to sell in an Irish pub or not, blah, blah, blah. I win Euro Millions. I would like to do a leisurely tour of North America where I can actually see the place, right? Rather than rushing about. If I can do that, great, you know? But at this moment in time, I have not had the offers from promoters for North America that make anywhere near sense. The last tour I did in 2008, I made out of the entire tour one and a half thousand pounds, and that was including selling merchandise on all the gigs, right? On the actual gigs themselves, I think I lost something in the region of 25,000 pounds on the actual tickets, venues and stuff. I can't afford to do that. And at 62 years old, I refuse to even leave this house unless I have costs covered and guaranteed. So <clears throat> when you turn around and say, please come to my country, please come to my city, I would love to. 
find the promoter, right, who's not going to lose his shirt, and find a load of other people, and either promote on radio or find those people that make sense that will come along to that gig and make it happen, because it can't just happen for five or ten people and a dug, right? So, please, understand that. I've written about it so many times. Touring is not easy. It's very expensive. It's a huge commitment, right? And time and energy. And as I said, nobody wants to be on a tour where, you know, you're looking at the promoter and even you, you're picking up your money and you know the promoter's just taking a hit, right? It's not good, you know? And I've got a lot of friends that are promoters out there, you know, and I don't want to turn around to them and say, it's the contract. Anyway, enough of that. Let's move on to something better, right? Frozen screen. Uh, no, I'm live. Chris Harris, love the bird song in the background. Sounds like a blackbird. Yeah, we've got a lot of blackbirds out there. I used to have two cats. And uh, uh, Arlie Smokey. And they were great. I loved the cats. But I used to hate when you find a robin lying on the floor and stuff and it's kind of, um, you know, that's a... And you find a blackbird lying outside and the cats both passed away, they, they, they just threw age. And when they left, we decided we didn't want to get cats because it was kind of... It was too much a hassle at the time. I was going back and forward from, from Germany with, to see Simone and things. And... We let it go, and then the bird population came back, and we put the feeders up, and we've got a beautiful amount of birds around here. And with a shutdown, with a shutdown, with the whole scenario being about, it's like the wildlife is just incredible. We woke up, <laughs> woke up, <laughs> I woke up one morning, da -da -da -da, right, and um, there was two pheasant cocks fighting outside our bedroom window, and I had to get them, bleed out the window, and tell them to piss off, right. They're fighting, like, flaring up against each other, right outside the window, right? And then I've got the rabbits and stuff. Uh, I found a dead rabbit today down the bed. Don't know what killed it, but uh, but I found a dead rabbit. And the rabbits have been, they've been nibbling away at stuff at the moment, so they're pissing me off. But um, but the birds, yeah, I love it. And when the when the bells, when the, the tubular bells and the, the chimes go off outside, ace, man. Right. Castle Kowalk, hello from Munich. Uh, John Kenny, how did you, John Kennedy, how did you discover Lazuli? Great bunch of wee guys, him. Yeah. Uh, Lazuli, um, did I meet Lazuli? I think we did, I think we did a, a festival together and I, I really liked what they were doing. And then I saw them, it was when we saw them at, at Lorelei, when we did the Lorelei gig, I thought they were outstanding. And, We've had them on tour a couple of times and um, I really like what they do, but I mean, they're kind of... Uh, I don't know what Lizzie are going to do. It's, um, they should be breaking out and doing a lot more and I've got more opinions on that and they're only my opinions. I think, and I dare say this, if they sung in English, I think it would be easier for them they have decided to sing in French only, and I totally respect that decision. And that's what it is. I've not, I've got the new album, but I've not heard it yet, and I'm sorry, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where I've just not sat down and listened to it. Um, 
great bands, they should do an awful lot more, but it's it's just so difficult. I mean, you know, to go back to touring, I mean, it's, it's difficult for me to tour, right? I mean, there's some areas I cannot tour in. Italy, I cannot get offers in Italy that make sense, right? And it's the same with Lazuli. But, you know, I'm way up the pecking order, you know, above, above Lazuli. You know, and Lazuli have got the, the little key gigs and they can go in, but it's so difficult, you know, to, to take those jumps and they can be expensive and you can also fall very flat and very hard on your face. And I shit you not, right? <clears throat> I nearly lost, I mean, the house next door. In, in 2000, there was a substantial amount of the debt that I was in was accumulated on tours and taking gambles. And, you know, well, if we just do this and if we only sell this and if this happens and if this happened, then nothing happens. And we were like, you know, steering off a precipice, which was, believe me, it's really scary. If you want, look at the the, the Orbushka documentary on the Sunsets on Empire uh, DVD, which was, and then you see the interview with himself and Yatta backstage in Cologne. That really happened, right? And we were sitting there and yeah, I told me that day and that was live. And he said, we're 70 odd grand down. And it's like, what do we do? And I either had to continue that tour, right? And, and, and run ragged, right? Or call it and then take the hit and not pay the, 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 the bands, the crew, everybody wouldn't have been paid, it had to go down. I decided to carry on and went off the cliff edge, right? But that is another story, right? Frank Wallenstein, greetings from Germany. Wie geht's, ganz gut? Uh, Gabriel Mancini, funny, a fish loves the cats. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like cats. I prefer dogs though, so does my wife. But, uh, seven o'clock. Um, Jose Cataxo, Stuttgart, Wartner, Dick in November. Yeah, I'm very happy for my next visit. You can't do it, but I can't do It's too complicated. No? Uh, Znero Letter, greetings from Karlsruhe, hello. Are your neighbours all fans, Luciano Pacheco? Um, I don't know. Um, I got worried when, when we converted the studio. I mean, this original studio building that was built in 1991, right, was, um, it was totally soundproofed. And then when I moved in here in 2001, I put French doors in and it was kind of, it started the conversion towards being kind of a domestic residence. And by putting the French doors in, I immediately compromised the, the sound. So there was leakage. And then as, this, as the studio has been kind of reclaimed by the, the kind of residential side, there's been, it's, the soundproofing has gone down a lot. So, but then again, my recording techniques have changed. They've changed. Back in the day, you know, back in the days of Elliot Ness and stuff, it was, um, you know, we'd be working in the studio till four o'clock in the morning, right? We don't do that with Callum now. We finish at six, seven o'clock at night. We start at 10 in the morning. We finish at seven at night. It's, I just found that, you know, sometimes you're staying up till two, three in the morning and, you know, you're a bit off your face or whatever and, like, you're putting things down and the number of times that I've woken up in the morning and I've gone, or woken up in the early afternoon and gone through and gone, what was that, right? And it's like, <clears throat> We used to call it, we have, we have a term, Steve and I put this together, it's like when we're writing, right? And we call it Les Ponts du Canard, right? Les Ponts du Canard, the duck pond, right? 
And what happens is when you start writing, right, <clears throat> you start in the field and you start there and you're going all the way out there and And the way we used to explain it is, where are we now? So, well, we've gone out the gate. We're out the gate now. We're on to the we're on the farm track. We're on the farm track. Farm track on a single single track. Da da da. On a dual carriage. We're on a motorway. The song is happening, right? And then when the song kind of starts to fall apart and you get lost, right? It's where are we? We're in the pond du canal. We're back in the field in the duck pond, right? So um, yeah, the duck pond. So where was I? I digress. Well, but the writing stuff. It's like with the the, the studio. One of the problems was in the last two, three years, the one of the main rooms, which is, is through there, and I, I put, I don't You can see the big Velux lights up there, right? This is the studio. This is the beams. This is the live room. This was originally, this was originally the live room. spin with the camera. But the, the live room, with the beams in it, it's got a very, it's got a very wide span with big beams and it's got stone in the walls and it had a, it's got a stone, flagstone floor. And the idea was that when we, we played drums, it was all based, it was actually based on the, 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 the drum room down at the town of studios. And we wanted something very live. I, I explained this before, Phil Collins did in the air tonight. We wanted a really good drum room. And we made it and it's too live. It, it was too live and we had to keep on damping it down. But when I did a lot of the conversions, especially the one in 15, when I changed this big room through there and I moved the Veluxes in the ceiling, I forgot completely when to recording it, right? But the thing is that when it rains, right? When it rains now, this place is like a drum skin and it's beautiful, it's great. When you're in here with the fire on and you hear that rain hitting the roof and that boom, it's beautiful. For recording, it's a big bloody no-no, and it's uh, but we were really lucky. We were really lucky with Vilchbirds, and we didn't really have any problems. We have to take the wind chimes down outside. That's one thing we have to do. Callum does not like the wind chimes, and every time the phone goes, I do have to run very, very quickly. And when Craig Blundell was in the drums, there were a couple of intrusions during the drum sessions, which is a bit unprofessional. But then again, that's that. It goes with things. But the studio, yeah, I mean, we still record here. You know, the whole Velchman's album was recorded in, in these rooms, you know, and Callum was through in the control room. But maybe next week I'll do a walkthrough. As I said, I was going to do outside today, but it was going to rain. It's still not rained yet, but it is. I can smell it. But I'll take you a walk through the control room another time. I'm going to something else. Uh, Robertson, Robertson, Fokwacha, Fokwacha. Yeah, sing lavender, please. Mm. Uh. Daifan Roberts, hi fish, I'm from Wales. Hope you well. The Billy Bay's album is brilliant. I got off Amazon last week. Looking forward to your concert and what up to next year. Yeah, Bullet Bass was, was a good best off. It's been delayed for ages. If you find it on Amazon, you're buying it through guys that have been picking this up years ago. Right. So. Oh, by the way, Scarring Crow's DVDs. I mentioned these last week. I had a look in the garage. We don't have any. I thought we had a couple of boxes kicking around. We don't. They're all gone. So, sorry. Misleading. Uh, 
Chanty Mitchell, love the cast iron stove. Yeah, it's a morsel. It's brilliant. It's about nine kilowatt. And when I moved in here, it was like it's such a huge space to heat and it was costing a fortune in LPG gas. And I got the stove in and it's lit nearly every night in the winter. It's, it's lit up and it heats up basically the entire studio. And it's, and it's just, oh, it's pretty cool. And I only buy the logs that are burn, by the way, right? The, the logs that are burn are all um, at least two year old. So they're dried, so it's not wet wood. So, I mean, there was all this about um, stopping, you know, the global warming thing, stopping the fires, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I live in the country, right? And it's, you know, our nearest, I don't have gas on tap at all. We have to use, uh, I just have to get um, LPG colour gas in there. And it costs a fortune. I try not to use it as much. I hate it. I used to have oil in the old house, right? But I mean, we have electricity here and uh, I'm trying, I want to get solar panels on the roof eventually. I was going to do it this year if this whole thing hadn't happened. It was, uh, it was one of the plans for this year was to put solar panels on the roof and try and run a lot of our electricity from the solar panels. I don't know how to do it. I need to research an awful lot more about it. But I mean, but the, the, that stove saves us. It means we use less LPG as well. But you know, we, we can't get gas here. We don't have, you know, uh, our broadband comes off a satellite because we've got no fast speed connection at all here. And, uh, it's, um, so we're, we're kind of in the country, so as far as I'm concerned, it's like that is a lifeline for us and that keeps us, it's a necessity, right? That's my take on cast iron stews. Uh, uh, Tommy Franken, you're out for tonight, you're, you're looking like Peter Lustig. <laughs> Darling, who's Peter Lustig? Who's Peter Lustig? The wife goes, oh, I know him. <laughs> who's Peter Lustig? Actually, everybody loved him on TV, but I heard that he, in private life, he's not very, he wasn't very Be friendly careful. and lustig. Yeah, it's because of the orals. These are, it's, um, my wife bought me these dungarees for my birthday. Mm. Oh, by the way, thanks very much for all your birthday wishes. I forgot to say, I did the little video last week, but thank you very much. For all the birthday wishes last week, it was uh, it was a lot. I couldn't. <laughs> it was absolutely impossible for me to answer everyone personally, so that's why I put the video together to say thank you very much for all the birthday wishes. It was great. I was I was actually. I mean, I said the I was overwhelmed. I didn't. It was reams of stuff. <laughs> but my wife got me my dungarees, and I haven't had dung. I had a pair of Calvin Klein dungarees that I bought in, I think it was 96, and they were like about that much shot. They were like, I should have had the basic rollers, you know, tartan ends to put on too, but they were like about that shot, and they were a bit tight, I sung very high. But I got these, and I like these, and I did consider maybe stage wear, that's something we can talk about, stage wear. I thought I could maybe wear these on stage, you know, do the Lowell George bit, Lowell George for Little Feet used to wear dungarees, right? And they hold you in, they hold your gut in and stuff, and like, but I'll let them. Stage where I, I hate, I hate. The one thing that freaks me out every time I come to doing touring is what am I going to wear on stage? And it's always black because, like, you know, because I'm rather big. And I always avoid the side shots and stuff like that. And, like, 
But I normally wear black because it's like you don't, until you're sweating after about five, six days, then you get the tide marks, which you can wash off when you're on a big tour. It's easy. But I mean, uh, people, some people said, why don't you go back to the costumes? I hated them. I, 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 it was like my favourite one ever. <clears throat> my favourite, um, one of my favourite outfits ever was the, the torch suit that I had on the, the clutching tour. And I really liked that one. That was the one I wore on the, the Nelson Mandela gig and people commented, it was brilliant. And it was kind of, it was quite Jimmy Pagey in a way. It was, I think he had something similar. It was a, but I love the torch suit. And I never got it back when I left Marillion. It was like, it went in a wardrobe case and there was, I don't know what happened to it. I was told there was a, a rumor, which could be fake news, that they were all, all my stage clothes were burnt and uh, it was, Oh, they were just thrown out. But I mean, I never saw it again. I never got it back. On the, on my first ever solo tour, I always remember there was a review. <laughs> there was a review in one of the magazines. And it says, Fish, who seems looks like he's wearing Blake 7 cast-offs. Right? Blake 7 was an old crappy, you know, um, it was a terrible <laughs> science fiction thing where they were all living on the moon. And they were awful outfits. I don't know why. It was just... I don't know why I did it, but they were, they were off. Oh, anyway. But I hate stage clothes. And I don't, the last thing I want to be doing, you know, on gigs is running off stage and changing it something. I'm not into changing outfits. You know, I want something that's basic, that works. The flower shirt that I had when we went out with a clutch, and I loved that, but it shrunk. <laughs> it, well, I didn't get bigger. It actually shrunk in the wash, and it suddenly, it was just... It moved up a little bit, but I hate it. It's like, you know, trying to get stage clothes. It just, I, I, I don't want to do, as I said, I don't want to do costumes. I don't want to get involved in that. So people go, why don't you go back and do it? No, I didn't like it in the first place. The bear costume on the Clutch of the Straws tour, right? I never liked that. I don't, I don't know why I wore that. I've got no idea. It must've been drugs or something. But with the bear costume, that was a big thing with the fur on it. Ugh. The torch costume, great. And I love, nice something, nice and simple, nice and easy, easy to wash, that doesn't make me look chubby. That's it. Script back of the German charts at number five, Alfred Fishy, is that right? Number five of the German charts. <laughs> it's, let's do the time warp again. <laughs> Eric Ridleyson, yes, Farmer Fish. It's great. And someone has got matching ones as well, so we go out, so we're like a real couple of hillbillies. But I love them. I used to have, I used to always wear dungarees when I was a kid. When I was a when I was when I was a wee boy, I used to have dungarees all the time and I used to love them. Yeah. Rico Pina, just wear your kilt. sorry, sorry, sorry. Luciano Pacheroff, what are your loudspeakers makes? Uh, they're Kefs, and it's quarter past seven, which maybe is a good time. Um, I'm going to play a new track uh, now, another one of the, the new ones. Um, this is called, it's called This Party's Over. And um, interesting because Robin Bolt had been up at the studio and he'd put together, what, what we did was, I, I told you before, when I started off right at the beginning of this fish on Friday, we talked about Down the Glower Castle and about the board. 
we always have the board and we put the ideas up, right? And and there's also when we're, we're recording because it's all digital on the computer, it's uh, we have logs of all these bits and they all get tags with names. And then when something moves, we go like that. Maybe works. We move it from just being you know on the computer on a file we take we basically write it up on the board and then we start to play about with it and we go that's an idea that's worth following let's see where we can go with this right and robin had come up with this thing and he, he just called it muswell hill i don't know why but he, he called it muswell hill and um it sat there and i'd, I'd completely forgotten about it and when we were working on uh when steve and i were putting together garden of remembrance we had this piano thing and it originally it was a piano thing that had been put down by John Beck when he'd been up last year and it was just John Beck playing away beautifully as he does and it, he was just extrapolating on, on a piano and it was really nice and Callum Malcolm had said you've got to write something on this and I couldn't it was because I'm like trying to write a lyric over a piano solo and it, it, I, my head was just going up somewhere right and um, the subject matter of Gardner Remembrance was basically dementia or uh, Alzheimer's, but it had to do with, uh, and I started to research and I started to get really down. I, I went down a rabbit hole and it was a bit dark and there was a lot of kind of kickoff things going on down there. And I went to bed one night and I went to bed and I was thinking about Gardner Remembrance and I was trying, my head was just, you know, the monkeys were, were tapping on the computers the whole night, tapping on the keyboard, trying to come up with like, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this? And I couldn't sleep. And I woke up at five in the morning and five, six in the morning, I went through to the control room and I was going to need, I need some punch from somewhere else, you know? And I went into the, the into the, the, the files that I had on, on my computer and one of them was Muswell Hill. And I threw up, I was just, I was just going, knocking through the, the, the files to see if there was anything that kind of attracted me. Muswell Hill came up. And literally within the space of an hour, I had a verse format, I had the chorus, I had the whole semblance of the lyric all worked out, right? And I had had a couple of lyrics that were kicking around in the lyric book that just happened to fit and... Basically, Steve was sleeping out in the cabin and he came in that morning about nine o'clock with dressing going on and I was like, got another song. And he thought I'd finished Garden of Remembrance. And I said, yeah, we've got this one. And it was Robin's theme for Muswell Hill that was tied on the Garden of Remembrance, uh, that, was, that was, came from the, the float off of Garden of Remembrance. But Muswell Hill became this song and it's called This Party's Over. And it features... Dave Jackson from, who used to be in Valograph Generator, who's a beautiful guy, a great guy and a fantastic musician. And David played the, the sax on um, Little Man What Now. And he'd done some other wee bits and pieces, but I really wanted to bring Dave back for something else in the album. And they came up with this and he put the whistles and the sax on this. So what you're about to hear is a song called This Party's Over. Tick.
wondering there is like i said there's a lot of different songs on this album little different things um this part is over it's kind of about uh it's kind of waking up and smelling the roses for the first time again i suppose it's an uh, interesting little bit i love it it's like it's, it's, it's good we played it and um we played it in aberdeen at the lemon tree on the first and only gig this year <laughs> the only uk gig this year it's, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, UK touring, 2000, Aberdeen, Lemon Tree. Uh. <laughs> Just get a t-shirt with huge numerals and letters in the back of it. Uh. Steve Smith, 
Oh. Bruno Cavalieri, this song. The song is called This Party's Over. Right? And funnily enough, uh, This Party's Over came from a... Uh, it, it was kind of a subliminal thing that popped in because This Party's Over was the book that I read, right? And it was a, it was a book about the world changing. And again, it's just one of those things. It's about the changes in the world and what's been happening with, with uh, globalization and, and talking about the environment. Um, it was a, it's a fantastic book. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called This Party's Over. And that was where I found um, the quote, which was, uh, I think it was eventually, we shall dine on a Feast of Consequences, which gave me the Feast of Consequences um, album title. Sort of an interesting little fact there. And this part is over, just came in, and I, th I think I'd written it down in the lyric book, and when I heard Robin's guitar part, and then we started to shape it and put it down, and I like jaunty little number, I like it. Um, <coughs> Andrew Rob Smith, sounds very Genesis, not a bad thing, I don't think it does. Uh, um... Tom Wallace, amazing how you approach a sad topic with a happy feel, making something good out of a bad situation. Yeah, I think that's kind of what it's, it's about. It's kind of, it's not, I don't think it's a sad thing. I don't think it's a, a sad song, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, I've had enough and like, you know, this, it's over. I'm, I'm dealing with this now. You know, I'm, I'm going out and I'm dealing with this now. I've had enough, you know. And the sooner we wake up and understand what's happening around us and start dealing with it, the better, so. It's kind of the same lines of blending the beautiful thing. I mean, there are links to Feast of Consequences, I think, you know, lyrically in, in some ways. You know, there, there's always a, an element of springboard that goes from one album to another. But um, anyway, where are we? It's 25 past. What's it for dinner tonight, darling? Go come through and tell me what's for dinner. Vegetarian wraps Veget <laughs> Vegetarian wraps with chicken. <laughs> Basis of vegetarian wraps, but having chicken with it and uh, lots of chili. Uh, Brian Angus, question for Fish and Friday. Was the video to Just Good Friends filmed at Barnes Nest Lighthouse Dunbar? Could swear I saw Tornest Power Station in the background in some shots. Yes, it was. Barnes Nest. Um, it was, a, it was a, an amazing video to do. Um, the thing when we filmed down at the layouts with Frank Usher and uh, and Sam Brown up on the, the top of the layouts, and uh, the in fact I think it was up where we were Frank at the time, and the helicopter pilot came in and he was he was doing these kind of shots coming right in and then going away, right? And um, it was a bit windy, and then we came down for the layouts, and the helicopter pilot go and he went, uh, he said, I think that classifies as being officially uh, a near miss. And we're going, what? And seemingly he'd come in and lost slight control of the helicopter as he flew into the lighthouse and the wind had caught it and he went a lot closer to the lighthouse than he was supposed to. We got a great shot, right? And I think if we'd, uh, if we'd actually known what the situation was at the time, I think uh, Frank and I might have been doing something different. It was, uh, it, was, it was great. And it was great fun working with Sam because Sam is just, uh, just a, a really beautiful funny person uh, to, to work with and she she was great she was perfect for that song for the duet in that song and so many people are so surprised that it was never a hit and maybe one day 
some film company, some mega director is going to hear the song and go bang and it will change the, the whole sort of song. But Sam did a great job on it and it was a shame. But the video was a lot of fun and will be that video will be on the Blu-ray of the Antenna Alexa remaster. Um, but yeah, so it was Barnes Nest Letters the Man. All the, a lot of the videos were shot in East Lothian. Uh, Lady Let It Lie was filmed down in Harrington on the Nungate Bridge. Uh, Fortunes of War was filmed down on uh, uh, Gullen Beach and in the areas, in some of the big houses around here. So I've, I've done, all, most of the videos were all filmed locally. Um, uh, Paul Hartman, what was that? Where, is, where are you going? <laughs> oh, it's something about a film on a camera or something. Uh, Al Martin, my missus has just asked if you were Scottish. This accent is actually all put on, not Scottish at all. Uh, oh. One of your last concerts in the Netherlands, I was there, I went out of the concert hall, security told me not to take any photos, and I thought, why is it such an issue? I'm a fan for more than 30 years, been a lot to you with concerts, have a lot of merchandise, so why is it so problem to take a picture now? Can you tell me that, Fish? See, when you buy a ticket for a gig, right, you're not buying a ticket for a camera shoot, right? You're coming to see a concert. I don't actually have any bands or I didn't have any bands on cameras coming in. I do not, I do not like videos at gigs. I hate them, right? It's like, when you come a gig, watch the gig. Be part of the experience. It's not something for your amateur portfolio of live shots. I'm not interested. And if I've, I don't like people. I really hate when people kind of sit there on the front row. When, what, let me just say, when you've got professional media coming in, right? they're allowed to shoot the first three songs, right? And they're allowed in the pit for the first three songs and then they got to go. I don't like the distractions, right? And I've had, I've had six or seven guys standing right in front of me with telephoto lenses all the way through the gigs, just shooting me. They're not professionals, they don't work for magazines, they're just doing it for a hobby, right? And I'm sorry, it's like, this is a gig. And I don't like to be distracted by shutter clicks and all the rest of it. Flashes are a big no-no. When you're dealing with lyrics, like I have to deal with, and you get a flash goes off in your face when you just come to a line and it just knocks you off the line, it, that really winds me up, right? Really winds me up, really winds me up. But I, I just don't see the point. What's the point of coming along at a gig and treating it like a photo shoot? You know, you're not there to, to, to you're not there to like, you know, amass your photo collection of, of artists. Come along with the gig, just enjoy the gig. Stop concentrating on aperture settings and speed settings and blah, blah, blah. Just come along and enjoy the gig. Leave your camera at home. You don't need photos, right? Okay, just enjoy the gig. It's live. Remember live? It's like, remember live? <laughs> I find it hard, actually. It's, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's like coming along a gig. I mean, you know, again, with security nowadays, it's like there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of the security issues that come up where you're just not allowed to bring bags into gigs in some places. And, you know, they're to be avoided. Just leave your camera home and enjoy the gig. I mean, that's it. 
But like I said, I'd have a stop you. Security, stop you. You should have known better. Anyway. Uh, but Helen, is the song Tara about your daughter? And has she ever sang it with me? Yes. That was the... I wanted to write a song about my daughter. Uh, one of the things was when I, I always felt really bad about being away from, from a kid. And, you know, my daughter did turn around me at one point and she said, Dad, I can't really remember you until I was about four, right? And it was because I was forever on tour. It was like being a, a, a truck driver or whoever, you know. And I was away, I had to leave home. I had to go on a tour. I had to earn a living. I had to pay for, you know, at the time you know, when Tara was born, we were not well off at all. And we were always in, we were always running red line all the time with finances. And uh, so I was on the road a lot. I felt bad about it. And I used to bring her things back. And it was kind of, I used to bring her dolls back from every country and things like that. And, that was part of the song. It, it was kind of like a, a, a lullaby thing for, for Tara. And it was like, you know, all the places that I'd been to, it made references to things that I'd seen, things that I'd brought back for them. And she did sing it on stage with me once. And it's on the Communion album. And she sang in the backing vocals on Tara. And I was, I was absolutely emotional when I turned around and I saw my daughter singing that song after all these years. And the thing was, I see in the morning when the sun comes up, that was what I used to say to her. And, and even nowadays, if she's staying here, we will still say that to each other, you know, before we go to bed at night. And it's like, see in the morning when the sun comes up. And it was always the thing I said to her when she was a kid, and that was why it became the, the main line of the song. And I'm, I love that song. I absolutely love it. And it's, it is Tara's song, it's my daughter's song. So that was cool. Um, Hugh Donaldson, you'd prefer the eye contact at a gig. I remember you catching my once when in front row. Yeah, I like, I do like eye contact at gigs, you know. Um, I do like seeing people. I, I said way back, it was one of the things in, in 1987, 1987, at that time, it was like playing those big gigs. I, I just, um, you know, you, you don't see people. You, you had a super trooper in your eyes all the time and I missed it. That's one of the reasons why I loved the Fishheads Club tour. It was one of my favourite ever, ever tours because it was, um, because it, uh, that sense of communion. That was why the album was called Communion for a reason. You know, although it was recorded in St Mary's Church, it's a great live album. And uh, it, was a, it was a great acoustic album that we did. But the Fishheads Club tour, I mean, as I said, I've got so much material sitting there that I, eventually I want to put together in a kind of anthology with all the different acoustic versions. But uh, but that communion thing, I mean, with the acoustic stuff, being able to go out and, and, and be close to people and really feel feel people and feel the audience rather than just be having the wall, right, and the blackness, right? I've just never liked it. We played, we did a gig down in uh, the O2, we mocked the hoople a few years back, a few years back, and we went on the bill, I think Thunder were on the bill as well, and we went on and... I really didn't like it. I didn't like the backstage area. I didn't like the stage. I didn't like anything about it. And it was, it just reminded me of kind of, it just reminded me of 
those 87, 88 days. You know, just, I just, I don't like massive halls. They're, they're not intimate. They're, they're uh, you know, anyway, that's another thing. Move on. Uh, yeah, Robert Hanna. I remember it used to be lighters held up at gigs. Nowadays it's iPhone cameras. I know. Uh, I know. Um, yeah, Chris Harris, Fripp has been on to stop Crimson shows of people taking photos. If he goes, he doesn't come back. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. It's, I think trying to explain and just, I mean, just to explain to people, like, look, don't. I mean, I, I don't see the point, you know, no matter how good iPhone cameras are and all the rest of it for video, right? When you're standing there taking a, an iPhone camera shot, you're catching it at the back of somebody's head, and you're doing it and singing along with the songs at the same time. It's like, stupido, right? It's like, what's the point? You know, I don't mind people. You know, if somebody's going to take, maybe we should have a little photo session, like just go do a couple of poses on stage, and yeah, you know, it's me. I take my shot now. I'm looking good. This is my right side, right? And then stop it. You know, but I mean, somebody that's standing in front of you with an iPhone camera filming you, you know, to put up on YouTube and it's crap sound and it's wobbling all around the bit and the settings are all, what's the point? Enjoy the gig, you know? It's, I've, I've, no, anyway. Jason Coles, how did you end up working with Bruce Watson? Uh, Bruce and I have known, I knew the Big Country guys for years and years. We did, in the 1980s when we went out in, into, into Europe and we were doing the festivals, it was great because you'd be bumping into U2, Simple Minds, Eurythmics, The Alarm, you know, and Big Country. And of course, when Scottish people meet up, it's like, how are you doing? Blah, 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 blah. An opportunity to talk fast, right? And, uh, and I love the, 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 the Big Country guys and they come from Dunfermline, which is just over the water from me. And, uh, and Bruce and I became really good friends. I think as characters, we, we had a lot of similarities and I love Bruce to death. Uh, Bruce and his wife, Sandra, his, his family are just incredible. And Mark Brzezinski, of course, played drums on the Vigil album and he's played, played drums on, on uh, other stuff for me. He's been live, he's been in the studio with me. Um, Stuart Adamson, you know, I, went, I, I met Stuart quite a few times. That was a really sad, uh, very sad affair when, when Stuart passed away. It was, uh, that was a big hit. And, um, but Bruce and I kind of um, stayed friends forever. And it, it was in, it was when I was looking for like, another guitarist and looking for a writer for Field of Crows. And it was like, let's, why not? Bruce wasn't doing anything at the time. Big country were kind of sporadically touring and doing sporadic gigs. And uh, I got together and he came out on the tour with us and he's such a funny guy. He, I mean, he can absolutely crease me up. I mean, he just, he's just incredibly off the wall funny. Like, just beautifully funny and uh, a great guy. And I would walk on a stage with him any day. He's a lovely bloke. Um, Where was that one? Oh, don't, sorry, 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 I'm just getting on. James Moody, seen you in Thurzo on the Fish Heads tour. Not many at the gig, but great night. Would you ever do another gig tour like that? I was really, really disappointed. And I think I was, I maybe could even say I was a wee bit hurt by that Fish Heads Club tour in Scotland. 
out of all the countries that I played, apart from Denmark, right, where we had a couple of gigs cancelled, one of the, some of the worst attendances we had on that tour were when I played in the outlying areas of Scotland. And I'd wanted to play in the Highlands and Islands and play up north. We'd, we'd, we'd done it on the vigil, on the State of Mind tour, pre-vigil album. I wanted to go out and play the Highlands and Islands of Scotland. And I want to try and, and I think I wanted to try and grow a fan base, a bigger fan base in Scotland, because I was always seen as being an English singer, believe it or not. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's strange that Marillion were always seen up here as being an English band, and down in England, we were always seen as being, you know, a Scottish band, because it was the Scottish frontman. But when I moved up here, I mean, I remember people saying to me, like, oh, I didn't realise you were Scottish, you know, which some of you might find that a bit strange, but I mean, that's that the truth. And when it come, I did, I did the, the Vigil tour on the State of Mind single, and that was not well attended outside the main areas. And, but at the time, it was an experiment. It was, I needed to do it to get my, my kind of feet back into the water again. You know, I'd left Marillion, I was, this was my first major tour, and I wanted to kind of do it, and I, I wanted to do it out the way, you know. But I thought, even then, I thought, because we were going up there, we'd pull. And we didn't, and I left it. So when the Fish Heads Club tour came along, and I was able to go out on a very low-cost tour, it wasn't an expensive tour to put together. And that's when I decided to, to, to put together a tour that was going to take in all these different areas. And I thought we promoted it quite well. And, you know, you talk about Thurzo. I remember we arrived in Thurzo, and on the cinema where we were playing, the old cinema, which was a, a kind of, now a, a kind of bar club vibe. The entire front of the place was like Fish, Pune Tonight Fishers Club Tour. We had support on local radio. We had, um, they were, the guy on local radio was, was great. I'd done interviews, we'd prepped it all well. And I remember we'd sold like 26 tickets, right? And I remember we did the sound check and then I went out to a, a bar down the road to have a meal before the show, right? And two guys came up to me and they said, oh, how you doing? You know, how you doing? You're, you're fish, aren't you? And I'm going, yeah, yeah. And I'm going, ah, oh, what are you doing? He says, we're doing a gig tonight, right? And I said, are you coming along? And the guy said, no, I'm going out for a drink with my mates. And I'm kind of going, eh. And we played to 26 people and we played Orkney, we played Shetland. We only pulled 100 and odd people, you know, in Orkney and Shetland. You know, I remember playing in, uh, uh, across in um, uh, Tobermory and we played this hall. It was a beautiful hall, right? And it was, it was a Friday or Saturday night. It wasn't even a bad night of the week. And um, it was only about half full. And I said, I actually said on the night on stage, I said, you know, this is going to be late when the Sex Pistols played Oxford Street. It's like, you know, by the time when I die, there'll be, there'll be 18,000 people turning around and seeing they were, they were at this gig in, in, in Tobermory. But it was, I was really disappointed by it. And, and I, w I felt quite bitten by it. I mean, we, we, lo we lost money on the Scottish tour. We played Perth, sold it out. Aberdeen was brilliant. Glasgow was brilliant. Edinburgh was brilliant. Um, Everywhere was great, but when we went out to like the Aran, Aran was very good. That was a well attended gig. But but, but Tobermory, we went up north to Thurzo gigs. Uh, there was there was a couple of really bad ones. In fact, I can't remember them because obviously my mind is scarred. But I mean, I had a great time. I mean, I, I loved it, and you know, I wasn't 
you know, desperately upset on the night when we were playing because the Fishes Club tour was kind of a very much kind of take it as it comes tour anyway. So if you had a hundred people in or you're playing in a coal mine or you're playing in a church or whatever, you just adjusted every night. So when you were playing gigs to like a few people, then you just changed it. It didn't affect the performance, but at the same time, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't get the support, you know, up in the, those areas of Scotland that I thought we would have got because, I don't know, you know, like I said, I don't lose sleep about it, but, you know, I wouldn't consider, you know, I would never consider taking the electric band up to uh, up into north of Scotland, you know, because I think it would be just too risky for me to really put that together. But, you know, who knows? I mean, if there's an acoustic thing happens at some time in the future and I want a bit of fun, then, you know, that's something that I could do. But at the moment, it's like, it's a no-no. And I'm moving at quarter two and I can smell the vegetarian chicken coming from the kitchen. So, so. He's Finnan, big company, just brill. Bruce, totally nice fella. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Cordwell, remember you stopping a show on one of your acoustic shows to ask my son, seven at the time, if he had any requests. And you, you then walked him round, round the... Was it? Oh, I missed it. And then I walked him around the gig. Yeah. The Fishheads Club tours, it was just so relaxed and chilled and it was just... Whatever happened in the night, it was, I loved them. I loved them. There were some really funny moments on those tours. Uh, okay. Let's move up into the last ones. Uh, da -da -da. Elisa Lamy, hi, Mr. Fisher. I wonder if you sing sometimes while working in your garden. Yes, I do sometimes. And during the Weltschmerz writing sessions, you know, when I used to get a bit of block, you know, when I'm, I'm just sitting there... There's two things I used to do. One is go out in the car. And I used to go out in the car and even to drive down to Haddington and drive back again. The number of times that I got in that car and by the time I came back up the road, I'd unblocked a sequence that I was trying to find a way through. And I've come up with ideas in, in, in the garden as well where I've just been, you know, humming away and stuff. I don't sing out loud, but I sing very quietly to myself like a maniac, you know. Like one of those strange people we say, children, stay away from that man. Anyway, so... Uh, Dean Davis, in person, do you prefer to go by your stage name or real name or Mr Dick? Hope you and the family keep safe. Thanks, Dean. Okay. Um, on stage, as a singer, I'm fish. Uh, but it's interesting in the last three, four years, I mean, Simona... I'm Derek, right? To my mum, I'm obviously Derek. Uh, some people, Steve calls, Steve Ansis calls me fish most of the time, but uh, I can be, you know, Yatta will call me Derek and fish. In the last two, three years, I've, when I'm introduced to people, I'm Derek. If I'm not singing, if I'm not in music, kind of in the music environment, you know, I'm Derek. If I meet somebody down in the hands in the pub, I'm Derek, you know? And it's, I kind of, the fish name, I, I respond to both, which is always really strange. But when you go to a restaurant and people take, when the waiters, waiters take a member restaurants. <laughs> member restaurants, there's things with tables, people all together. And there was, a, and then you hear somebody at the next table and they're ordering for the go, fish, I love the fish. And then you, your ears like that, going like that. 
somebody mentioned my name. So uh, yeah, but it's, um, but Derek, I'm Derek, and and I think um, you know on the publishing credits and the writing credits is you know lyrics by Derek Derek Dick. So it's um, that's the way it goes. But I mean, but you know, I'm Derek to you, babe. I'm gonna not talking. It's cooking. Right. It's quarter two. I think we should call it a night. Uh, that I think is it. I hope you've enjoyed the, this evening's uh, Fish on Friday. A little bit of a tan. I hope you appreciate it. That I did shave for you tonight. Do all the lines as well. I actually razor the lines out, shave the top of the head. Got the good overalls on. This weekend, I'm going to be potting up chilies. Um, if you're interested, go to the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden because there's about a 15, 20 minute piece on growing tatties. Tatties are Scottish parlance for potatoes. And uh, you can see how it grow tatties, or how I grow them anyway. And there's another one going up, and there's a thing on a water feature going up on the Funny Farm Kitchen Garden. Go and visit it if you want a bit of a laugh and like just to see what I do on the outside. On the music side this week, uh, I'm going to be here in the Rosie Damascus mix, so I might, next Fishing Friday, I'll be playing you a bit of um, Rosie Damascus. I will be playing the whole lot because it's 16 minutes. Um, everyone's okay. My mum's good, as I said. She's forging with the jigsaw. The wife's good. Liam's stepson's good. Uh, my daughter Tara's great. All the kids, all the family, all doing well. Everybody healthy. And again, thank you for all your wishes and all your wonderful, beautiful thoughts uh, last weekend. I hope you're all handling it okay. Uh, just keep on checking out silver linings. Uh, was it that thing? Keep on passing open the windows and like look for silver linings and just find the beauty out there. Like I said, I've got my water feature that I got up and running again and going out there and just sitting and listening to the wind chimes and listening to the water and, you know, it's beautiful space and, you know, I'm here in the world and the world's here in me, I think. Um, but for all of you, just take care, be safe, watch what you're doing and, uh, and I'll see you all next week at Friday, six o'clock, official Friday. And I hope you really enjoyed tonight. It was my pleasure in talking to you. Until then, take care and stay alive. <laughs>